welcome to the Scottish podcast by Scottish people about Scottish things. We're three lifelong friends and displaced Scotsmen who get together to talk about our homeland, the weird stuff that happens there, and to remind us why we are the way we are. Welcome to This'll Do Nicely. Good morrow, gentler readers, and welcome with thee to a yarn spun in the most masterful tones by such that is your bard, Rory of Angus. And forsooth, I, the lunatic, am joined keenly by the lover and the poet each. Christoph from Irvin and Jonathan, a fighter he may be, but a smith he is not. <laughs> Good day, my brothers. I see we three have met again in thunder, lightning, and in rain. Good morrow, good morrow. <laughs> that was very, very good, Rory. Thanks. Thought you like that. I think that's amongst the best intros you've ever done. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was pretty good. I, I thought I'd theme it this I week. see that your Dungeons & Dragons uh, <laughs> world, world building has really come into play right there. Yeah, that's the thing. This was all written before. I'm using it for one of my campaigns, and I just had to put you guys' names into it. It's dead who's easy. The, who's the lo- what was it, a lover and a poet? Who's... I'm the lunatic... Uh, Chris is the lover and you're the poet because oh, you're a perfect. musician. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, hello, see? ladies. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, hello, everybody. Yeah, today we are talking about. Well, the reason I've got that sort of insane intro is because we're talking about an actual Shakespearean play. We're going to be talking about the Scottish play Macbeth. Ugh. Yeah, I know. We you, said, you it. said it. Said yeah. it. Said it. I'm so sorry. Now all the audio is going to cut out. The connection's going to go. We're going to. Someone's going to not record. There's I definitely... can't feel anything in my right arm. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! If you have a stroke, we're very far away. There's nothing we can do about it. Just you might just think it's the it. screen freezing. <laughs> <laughs> One half of his is screen he, is, is... He coming back. He's kind of moving, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I mean, like this is. Uh, it's a play written by an Englishman, but it's very, very Scottish. That's why they call it the Scottish play. It's about Scottish people. It is, well, we'll get into how historically accurate it is. But yeah, today we're going to be talking about, well, we're going to go through the plot, a bit about the background and Shakespeare writing it, the numerous adaptations, and then we're going to dig into the curse, um, the curse of the Scottish play, as they say. But uh, If we make it that far. If we make it that far. Yeah, I mean, the play was written in 1609 by William Shakespeare. You guys, you guys heard of William Shakespeare? Seen the, seen the film. <laughs> yeah. Did he did he come from the same Scottish town as Charles Darwin? Yeah, <laughs> I, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, how much do you guys know about Macbeth and the the play? Not necessarily. Uh, we all we all studied it in school, did we not? We did. No. Indeed, I mean, yeah. you know, I was I was in a significantly superior English class to both of you, but um... <laughs> we didn't get that far. <laughs> yeah, I got to do the comic book version of Macbeth. It was <laughs> much easier. Um, I seem to remember studying it twice. I think, if you correct me if I'm wrong, I think we studied it in second year of school, or or and that which is quite early. But that's like yeah. age fourteen, I think. And then I think I studied it again at university. And it's just as heavy the second time round. <laughs> it, it's definitely one of the slightly easier ones to follow, I would say, because it's it's sort I, of the sh- a shorter of his work as well, right? Yes, it? yeah. it's like the shortest or one of the shortest. Right. Yeah, it's like half the yeah. length of Hamlet, which is why nobody does it. Why nobody does Hamlet? <laughs> That's why we did it earlier. We did, we did, we did Hamlet. We did Hamlet the next year, I think, or the following year. You yeah. might, you might. Have I definitely not, don't. You, I'm not no. sure we did that. <laughs> I was in the art room making a portfolio. <laughs> you were good at, look, you were, you were good at numbers. You were good at numbers. Johnny was good at drawing. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, I was good. I was good with the big words, <laughs> <laughs> the fancy words. Uh, I I hated Shakespeare in school. I couldn't couldn't figure it out. Didn't see the point of it. But I've grown to you know develop. Didn't a, you ever act it? I have a funny feeling you might have maybe been in it at some point. I think I was in Midsummer Night's Dream. Ah, okay. Yes, that sounds uh, that that definitely happened. I don't know if there was any my, others. My sister was definitely in a, a Midsummer Night's Dream. I don't think I was ever in a Shakespeare uh, production at school, but I can't remember. I don't think I was. It all blends into one. I did a couple of monologues from Shakespeare, Jonathan, um, <laughs> as auditions for my parts, but um, not necessarily in the plays themselves. 
<laughs> I hope you use that accent all the way through. <laughs> of excellent. course. Thank you. The Yeah, I mean, look, Macbeth is actually a pretty good one. The, the full title is a tragedy of Macbeth because guess what? It's a tragedy, which basically means when a Shakespeare, everybody dies. <laughs> spoilers. Spoilers. There's going to be spoilers all the way through this because I am going to, well, right now, I'm going to try and break down the story for you real quick. So we have Macbeth. He's a general returning from battle after successfully squashing a rebellion against King Duncan of Scotland. He, on the way home, meets three witches, or weird sisters as they refer to them, who prophesies that he will be the next king. And that his mate, Banquo, who was hanging out with him during the battles, will be the father of kings. Um, so basically Macbeth goes home to celebrate the victory, tells his wife about the witches, his wife being a little bit, you know, of a pushy wife as she's portrayed in the show says, well, Big D is here staying at our home, celebrating your victory. Why not just get rid of him tonight? And we can deal with that hurdle right now. So McBee gets in the mid gets up in the middle of the night and then stabs the king, gives him a right good chibbin, as we would say at home, um, Everybody then wakes up a bit hungover from the parties the night before, not really in a position to deal with the dead king. That's not really what you want when you've got a hangover. They then blame it on a couple of guards who are meant to be looking after Duncan, and his son just buggers off to England for some reason I don't quite remember, even having read it and watched it Isn't he it worried recently. that they're also going to murder him? I think so. I, I That was definitely something that was lost on me. I didn't know if they were just like, he was scared or whatever. But anyway... The blame. I think kind he of... goes into hiding. He goes into hiding. Right. So and, he's in in hiding. So he's worried. You know. Everybody just kind of agrees that Macbeth should be king. There's no real long discussion about it. It's just kind of like, all right, yeah, he's king now. And then almost immediately, <laughs> he starts to lose his mind. Uh, he becomes like super paranoid, super tyrannical. It was oddly similar to, like, looking back at our last episode about uh, James McElvoy, it's oddly similar to, like, Idi Amin in Last King of Scotland, the way he kind of, the moment he gets power, he just goes a bit bananas and starts, like, killing everybody. So he kills Banquo, his best mate, because the witches said that he was going to be the father of, the king, father of kings, and McBee is worried that he's a threat to his own monarchy. Uh, he then murders the entire family of his other mate, Macduff, I couldn't quite remember why. I wasn't sure, but again, he just saw him as a threat. He starts seeing visions, seeing ghosts. He goes just a bit nuts. Everybody else knows that he's a bit crazy. The guilt gets to Lady Macbeth significantly. She eventually kills herself. And then eventually the son of the slain king, Duncan, comes back with an army to kick shit out of Macbeth. But it is Macduff who finally gets his vengeance against Macbeth and kills him and then it's Duncan Jr. is crowned the new king and nobody lives happily ever after. And scene. And scene. <laughs> and that's it. That is it's definitely like a real spiral, isn't it? It's like immediately as guilt kicks in, it just spirals out of control and he starts killing everyone and then it's like there's no going back. Yeah. It's but the whole thing right from the very beginning, there's that moment where he comes home and he's like, Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? I'm gonna be king, I'm gonna be king. It's like, oh, we should do this right now. And the plan is terrible because it's he's literally staying in his castle, like in his land, and he just sneaks in, in the middle of the night and then stabs him. It's just give it a moment. Like, <laughs> let's all have a breather. It's a double bluff though, Rory. If someone says like why did the king how how did the king die in your castle? Aren't you a prime suspect? And then he could be like well, wouldn't that be really stupid if I killed him in my own <laughs> castle? Like, only a complete idiot would do that. So, and I'm not a complete idiot. So, it's a good point. You well know, made. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I see a classic that. double jeopardy, reverse psychology, all that jazz. <laughs> that makes the, perfect sense. The the whole thing just didn't make any sense to me. But I do like it. I do it, it, having gone through it again over the past few weeks. Um, it's got this kind of old-timey action movie feel to it. There's battles, there's sword fights, there's a lot of murder, there's magic, there's ghosts, there's all kinds of stuff. So it's kind of definitely exciting. Not a lot of, like, long monologues or anything like that. So it's kind of... I definitely find, think it's fun. It's one of the more fun Shakespeare plays, I'll say. You, you guys... <laughs> 
agree. Yep. Uh huh. I didn't. I didn't think that you'd finished your point there. To be, no, you're, no, you're never usually that sort of unequivocal in ending your sentences. There's after that. There's almost usually a um. <laughs> there was nothing. I just really caught us off guard there. I just I I liked it. It was odd. It surprised me. I think I just was like I liked it. The end. The end. Yeah. Join us next week. <laughs> no, there's way more to talk about. But uh, all right, so we can go into. The, I, I did find the background to Willie writing this quite interesting. So, like I said at the beginning, it was written in 1606. And this was right around the time that James the Sixth then became James the First. So James the Sixth of Scotland became James the First of Britain. M. M. Quas's son. Exactly. Exactly. He was crowned in 1603. So we had. He was M. Quas's son, and it was after Mary Queen of Scots and uh, Betty had their like battle royale. So Scotland and Scottish politics were trending big time. Uh, everybody was very very excited <laughs> about them. This was also right in the middle of the witch trials that kind of had overtaken Britain, and we talked about them in our Edinburgh episode. And James was one of the worst peddlers of like that paranoia around Britain. He actually wrote this book called The uh, Demonology, um, which is all about catching witches and how you can spot them and why you should be scared of them. And I, I kind of briefly touched on the story about a woman that was tried for being a witch because they believed that she was trying to sink his ship by throwing cats into the sea. Um, so he was very involved in the witch scene at the didn't time. He, didn't he also write a version of the Bible? Is that the same King James? Uh, or, I like, don't know. I'm, I'm bad with my Bible. I just like the idea of the fact that the guy who's kind of written the modern version of the, vi- the Bible that's held up as the, you know, the bastion and truth of all Christianity mm. also wrote a book about witches. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I have to check that. Let me check. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you can Google it while I talk. Uh, but interesting. So we've got Scottish politics is, is all exciting at the time. Uh, it's the first, you know, uniting of the kingdoms. We've got the witch trials. And then it also on top of it, Guy Fawkes uh, and his mates tried to blow up Parliament in 1605. So his trial started in January 1606. So you've also got this big like injection of like hardcore treason and people turning against the government and like how bad that is and people like hating on Guy Fawkes and stuff like that. It's the same King James, by the way. Same is it? King James. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's prolific. He's. Yeah, he is the James Patterson of his day. <laughs> Excellent live research there. Thanks yeah, I like it. Oh, no, sorry. It's uh, actually Charles Darwin. <laughs> when he was in no, Belgium. It is. It's the, same, it's the same King James. I've just, I've just blown the lid off the Bible and Christianity as we know it today. King James. I, we should just do a whole episode on him. By the, like we're, we're breaking him down episode by episode, but he sounds way more interesting than I remember him being in school. I've already done the first part yeah. during the MQOS uh, episode. Exactly. So. Yeah, easy peasy. All right, let's put it in the books. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yes, like I said, uh, Willie was basically writing for his audience. Um, the king was the patron of the Shakespeare's theatre group. Uh, the public were fascinated by Scottish politics and witches and treason. So that's why Macbeth, the play, was so perfect for its time. And, and it wasn't so much that he happened to write it and it fit the time. He was writing it for the time. And then, like I said, throw on top of it all the battles and the murder and the magic. It was just like crazy exciting. And so the the history of the book itself, so he took certain sections of Scottish history and then applied what was at the time modern history to it. And they think he was inspired directly by James's demonology with the witches being involved, but also this other guy, Hollinshed's Chronicles, which was basically this very popular British history book. But being, you know, an old-timey history book, it's hard to kind of tie down what is fact and what is just made-up bullshit. But it did refer to historical figures such as Macbeth, and it also mentioned Banquo, and it mentioned the assassination, and so on and so forth. So I'll get into now a bit of the historical accuracy of Shakespeare's Macbeth and, like, how it compares to real, like, what we know as being... 
uh, you know, Scottish history at the time. So there was a King Duncan um, known as, oof, um, <laughs> Don Chad. John, like, it'll be like Donach, but it's a Gaelic pronunciation. I'm definitely going to get it wrong, so I don't know why I'm I prefer trying. the name Don Chad, if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good old, good old Southern name. Right there. <laughs> Don Chad, old Donny Chad. Uh, so he was King of Alba, 1034 to 1040. And he knew Macbeth, who was known as Macbethed Mac Finlich. Uh, again, horribly pronounced. Um, but he may have been a, a Duke of Duncan's at the time. And this was during the many, many times in Scottish history where people were just fighting all the time for no particular reason and the throne was switching like every other week. But it's basically believed that Duncan, although they were friends, was leading an army north to Moray against Macbeth's people. And they're not quite sure why, but Duncan then died in that battle. Macbeth was then crowned king and he reigned for 17 years. So in the play... He only reigns for about a week before he goes absolutely yeah, bonkers. In the play, it makes it feel like Macbeth completely unravels in the space of about 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure it lasts a bit longer than that. <laughs> but yeah, he was eventually... So after 17 years, he was mortally wounded in a battle against Malcolm, who would become Malcolm III, who was friendly with the English at the time. One of the interesting things is that just before Malcolm took the throne properly, Macbeth's stepson was actually crowned king. And he ruled for like less than a year, but was supposedly known as Lulak the Idiot. And <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't have time to dig into this guy, but I'm very excited to read a wee bit more about oh, he's Lulak the Idiot. Yeah. He's absolutely getting his own episode. I mean, you're king for like a week and that's what they call you. You've done something <laughs> stupid. <laughs> so, oh, Lulak, you fucking idiot. You've done it again. So... You can see that there's a through line there that makes the play accurate to history. There's Macbeth and there's King Duncan and they were friends. Something happens that changed that friendship. Duncan is in Macbeth's land or home. Uh, Duncan is then defeated, possibly killed by Macbeth. Macbeth becomes king. He is then killed by a Scotsman who's in league with the English. And then add to that the kind of general 17th century hatred and fear of women, which manifests in the play as the witches and the very manipulative Lady Macbeth. And then like Shakespearean, the, the, like Shakespeare's ability to put extra motivations and relationships and, and emotions into it with the like regicidal guilt and stuff like that. Then you get this like fantastic dramatic epic play that he put together. It's kind of like these uh, dramatic, these true crime uh shows you know dramatic retelling of stories that you know they fill in some yeah. of the blanks you know I'd, i'm assuming we don't know if macbeth was mad and we don't know if lady macbeth was a real pain in the ass yeah it's kind of when they're like and sergeant stevenson walked into the room his heart skipped a beat and you're like well i said my heart skipped a beat <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i agree it does seem like there is that level of historical accuracy i'll say to it uh, which i didn't realize but you can see it you can kind of tease it out there and then he just was like also there are witches well a lot of a lot of shakespeare's plays are like that that he takes a thread of of reality or stuff that actually happened and then he turns it into you know the fantastical yeah it's it's like when you watch movies and then at the very end it's like or at the beginning it's like based on a true story and then you read up on it, and basically there was just one guy called Trevor, and the main character is also called Trevor, and that's it. <laughs> it's the only similarity. Yeah. I mean, would you guys, like, would you, I think, looking back on it, so Shakespeare's big hitters for me are Midsummer Night's Dream, Romeo and Juliet, and Macbeth. I put Macbeth at the top of the list now. Like, I think it's my favorite. Yeah, it's definitely a good one. I mean, I think there's a reason that we did it quite early on in school, because I think it's one of the ones that sort of, more accessible like it's quite exciting and it's quite short and like mm. it is a bit of a like you know you were saying earlier like sort of action film version of <laughs> of uh, Shakespeare yeah. um and I, th- I think for that reason it's pretty I think of all the ones people know I, I would say it's up I mean probably maybe Romeo and Juliet's better known but it's, yeah it's got to be up there I would imagine certainly better than King Lear which is a pile of shit <laughs> I yeah no I I think it's good I think it's it's one of the one of the top four I think I'd I'd throw Hamlet in there for certainly fame fame wise I think the mm. other two that you mentioned Romeo and Juliet yeah. and Summer Night's Dream are uh, 
big. Uh, cons- uh, consequently, those are the first four ones that I believe we read in school, and then yeah, we branched out. Uh, I know that m- much do about nothing's very popular. Uh, oh yeah, that is good. Nine. I always forget about that as well. Where was this in his sort of like timeline of his career? I guess like was this quite early on? It was uh, seventh, right? I don't know. I've got no idea, Johnny. <laughs> I mean, you could have said anything then. Going, yeah. yeah, great. You've exposed him as a real low laugh right there. <laughs> <laughs> I should have looked it up, but I didn't. So let's just cut it. We'll go yeah. back to this some other time. Just for just forget it. It's been a washout. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like, because of that, I think because it's so, like you said, it's short, it's exciting, it has this amazing mix of so many different things, it gets adapted all the time, and there are just so many of them. So we'll touch on a few right now. So one of the most famous ones is Orson Welles. He did it a couple of times. So he did it, he made a movie in 1948 where he played Macbeth. And it was just horribly received. Um, terror, like it was like a <laughs> commercial flop. Critics hated it. Um, there's apparently this. Well, at the time, they shot it all in Scottish accents, and then had to redub it because everybody just thought it was awful. It sounded terrible, <laughs> and so it got released in like I think it was probably American accents or whatever their normal accents was. But I think the main reason that it was received so poorly was because it was made at right the same time as Laurence Olivier's massive budget Hamlet. And so it was being compared uh, to okay. that. And basically nice. everybody was like, well, it's not as good as fucking Hamlet. So why, like, why are we bothering with that? And kind of By now the way, we should definitely get an episode redubbed sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Equivalent American accents. <laughs> we just have the unfinished business guys. Uh, just redub it. Yeah. That'd that would be, be incredible. To that. That'd be amazing. Uh, <laughs> welcome to This'll Do Nicely. You'll have to change your name, Rory. <laughs> yeah, so now it, they see it's now appreciated by modern audiences. Basically, after people got over the comparison to Hamlet, they're like, oh, actually, this is pretty good. We, we enjoy it. And so it's got this, like, you know, I guess you could call it a cult classic afterwards, after the day part. Uh, Rory, where, where did that where did that film come in Orson Welles's order, uh, the canon wise? <laughs> seventh. Yeah, it was the seventh one. Seventh. Okay. Thanks, Johnny. Yeah, you're welcome. I've started doing some backup research because I know Rory's got so many <laughs> gaps in his. Well, before he did so, before he did that movie, he actually did a stage oh, version no. of Hamlet. He did what was nicknamed Voodoo Macbeth in 1936. Okay. So he did. In, I think it was in Harlem in New York, he did uh, an all-black cast and he reset the play in the Caribbean, in a Caribbean island. And it was, I think it was like a made-up Caribbean island. Oh, that sounds very racist. I, <laughs> that was my immediate reaction as well. I was like, oh, this is, this is problematic. But it was a huge success, like critically acclaimed across the board. People just saw it as this like excellent adaptation and it was lauded for like promoting African-American theater. And there was okay. this whole thing about like there was people protesting it in the streets, and like I'm talking about like um, African American people were protesting it. They thought it was like comparative to the minstrels, and that's what he was doing. Oh. But then the word kind of spread a little bit more, and he was just doing a brilliant job of promoting, like I said, African American theater. It was hugely popular and has been like redone a couple of times. So, in addition to that, there was also the 1957. Akira Kurosawa Throne of Blood, which was set in feudal Japan. But again, that's a that was a good pronunciation. <laughs> oh, get you. Thank that you. Somebody's funny. been to Tokyo. No, he just does Kurosawa does good films. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he does. Yeah. yeah. Seen, where, where did this come what in the is <laughs> Kurosawa uh Oof. film? Uh, 14th? Johnny, did you do research for that? I said it was the seventh. Sorry, Rory. Seventh one. Seventh okay. one. Damn it. Excellent. So so I don't know where going, we'd be without you, Johnny. No worries. I got you back. He so this was apparently this is apparently very good. I didn't get a chance to watch it, but it's on HBO Max if you do want to watch it. It is Fassbender's favorite adaptation of um, oh, Macbeth. We like Fassbender. We're a pro Fassbender <laughs> podcast. We are so. a pro. We're gonna get on to him in a wee bit because he's also played 
This episode's starting to get a bit loose. Macbeth. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> then, in 1971, Roman Polanski also did a version of Macbeth. But Ooh. Are we allowed pretty, to talk about him? Pretty sure he's a pedophile. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. So we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. Famously, people pa- have tried to be- cancel him for years, and he's still not. Isn't still he? Not isn't he off. like ostracized to some other country? Yeah, he's uh, conveniently abroad, I think, in Switzerland or something like that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, whatever. Uh, so we're not going to talk <laughs> looking, about him. Looking forward to this whole piece being cut. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're covered when you say the word allegedly. It's fine. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody listens to it. Anyway. Uh, Your Honor. Tell that to the, <laughs> tell that to the Academy, Rory. <laughs> so, 2010, Patrick Stewart does uh, apparently an incredible version of Macbeth as well. Um, and it's around... Is, this, is that stage or film? That was stage, but it was shot for film. So you can get it... Uh, I think it was a BBC version of it, and you can get it... I think I might have seen that, actually. Yeah. Because the BBC would release all their the stage versions of... Yes. All of it. They, and the BBC used to be known for that. Rather than like doing the good crime shows that they do now, they just were known for like period pieces mm-hmm. and releasing Shakespeare on stage for yeah. decades and faulty towers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's meant to be very, very good. Um again, I've unfortunately not seen that one. But it was also around this time that they did the incredible Scotland PA. Uh, Scotland, Pennsylvania, uh-huh. which Chris, I think you watched. Uh, do you want to tell us a wee yeah. bit about this amazing adaptation? Yeah, so I, I I suffered through this this week. Uh, I didn't know about this film until Rory brought it up. Um, this is an adaptation starring Christopher Walken, who plays Macduff. Uh, he's the biggest, uh, the most well-known character, and Maura Tierney from ER. Uh, yeah. among other things is Lady Macbeth I didn't actually recognise the guy that played Macbeth I suspect that maybe his career might have been killed after this <laughs> Andy Dick and Amy Smart are two of the three uh, witches in it so I did find it quite funny that Andy Dick's in this <laughs> and you know completely Andy Dick's and hams it up uh, <laughs> no it's a guy called uh, James Lagrosse as Macbeth and he's not someone I've ever seen in anything before or probably since i read about a little bit of the background of this film and the director apparently he had always had this idea of setting macbeth in kind of a relatively modern setting in an american setting and for me the film is exactly like a dude that's just come out of film school has had the <laughs> script in his in his back pocket for years and now he's maybe he's made a film that's kind of been somewhat successful and they've given him a little bit of money and he's like this is what I. This is what I'm going to make. This is going to get me on the map. And it's set in the 1970s. Rather than have it over a castle, uh, the king uh, is it Duncan that, that he kills? Yeah, Duncan. Yeah. So the king is uh, Duncan is the owner of a fast food restaurant, and Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are two of his employees. Macbeth is frustrated because he has lots of good ideas like installing a drive-through and a food <laughs> truck and things like that. Banquo works there as well. And Duncan's son is a waster. And they eventually concoct this plot to take him out. And Macduff is the detective in it. So he turns up halfway through and just Christopher Walken's the shit out of the movie. And... Um, <laughs> I, I, I watched it in two installments and I still had to fast forward through parts of it. So there are parts <laughs> in it that were I've skipped and I've gone, oh, hang on, what's happened? Um, apparently Banquo gets disposed of in a deep fat fryer. Uh, <laughs> oh my which... God. So I'm going to read a re- Is it re- funny? I looked on... <sighs> I Did you laugh? Really, really... No, I right. didn't. I found it really, really unfunny. But if you go on IMDb, the reviews are quite positive. So maybe I've just had a sense of humor bypass. <laughs> but I'll, 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 read, I'll read a review that is positive. This is from G. Patillo, uh, a black comic gem, disturbing and hilarious. Uh, this is some of the most fun I've had watching a movie. I took it as a blind recommendation, and it's become one of my favorite comedies in years. Um, set in the depressed town of Scotland, Pennsylvania, circa 1973... Uh, Morissette, who's the director, turns Shakespeare's original story about a power-hungry wife pushing her two-contemplative husband into a bloody post-regicide reign into a tale of an over-ambitious wife pushing her dullard husband into murder to take over a fast-food joint. 
Morissette had obvious pl- fun playing with the character names and using them to even propel the story. Uh, there is, of course, our anti-hero slash heroine, uh, Joe, Mac, and his wife, Pat. Oh, wow. Pets. That's having so much fun with those names. Yeah, uh, both of whom work for Duncan, the owner of What Else? A donut shop. No, oh, Dunkin' Donuts, I suppose. Yeah. yeah fine. Uh, through shrewd <laughs> manipulation, Pat pushes. There's also Lieutenant McDuff, Christopher Walken, seemingly having more fun than he has in anything I can recall him in. Banquo becomes Banco. Is that having fun? That's having know. a lot of fun. And, it's very clever. And Shakespeare's witches slash weird sisters become an, uh, an un- unholy trio of drugged out hippies, deliciously played by Andy Dick, Amy Smart, and Tim Levitch. Acting honours go all the way around, but James LaGrosse and Maura Tierney get special mention as the unholy couple. LaGrosse captures the perfect 70s dullard, small-time dreams, clueless, and nearly almost ruining anything. He's a delight to watch. Miss Tierney, an actress who single-handedly kept me from ever watching ER, nearly shocked the life out of me by actually proving to be an amazing actress. If for no other reason, but thank God there are plenty of them, the movie would be worth watching for Tierney's most delicious, crazed performance of the film. Her transparent subtlety is almost menacing, and her greedy ambition is mouth-wateringly contagious. You want her to get away with everything. I can't recommend this movie enough. Hilarious and disturbing. Scotland PA is a joy. I think it was written Can by I the director. Say, <laughs> there's nothing, there is nothing subtle about the film, and there is nothing <laughs> subtle about Mauritini's performance. She, the last scene that she is in, she lit, like, you know how Lady Macbeth has the out-down spot, and she's yeah. paranoid, paranoid with the blood? So it's a similar thing, but she she thinks she's been burned by something in the, the right. fat fire, and she takes to wearing an oven glove. Uh, and the last scene, she cuts her own hand off, and with and all you see is the bloody oven glove on top of the table, <laughs> and her lying on the ground, but her arm because they've got no CGI, her arm <laughs> is just behind her. <laughs> and it ends with with Macbeth and Macduff having. One of the worst fights I've ever seen on the roof of the restaurant that they've changed about. And I, I'm i not even quite sure how it ends. I think he just falls off the roof and dies and gets impaled by something. And then Macduff takes over the restaurant and Macduff is a vegetarian all the way through. And there's a scene, I think, where they try and choke him with a hamburger. And Macduff <laughs> reopens the restaurant as a vegetarian restaurant and nobody comes to it. And that's it. This sounds, I don't know what you're moaning about. It sounds excellent. It's uh, Rory. I I <laughs> very rarely have resented you in my life, but I actively resented you for asking me to watch that. It's truly, truly one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. Wow! Look, arguably, I just said it was there, and could one of you watch it? If anything, you got to blame Johnny for not watching it. And and you you having to I feel like it's, I really dodged the bullet in that one. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> oh, you dodged a bullet, John. You dodged it. <laughs> Sounds miserable. <laughs> he's, he's so angry about it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it. It's not. It, the cast isn't that bad, and I quite like Maura Tierney. Like I think she's, hmm. I think she's a half decent actress, but oh man, there's there's bad choices made throughout that <laughs> film. I love really the, the look of like PTSD in your face right now. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I apologize, but look, I mean, that's just the thing with Macbeth with this play. It just sparks so much inspiration in so many different forms. Um, I've, know, seen, I've seen another kind of modern adaptation a few years ago, I think possibly in school, you know, when school tries and sure. you, you watch a thing of it to kill a day. Um, and it was set on a council estate, and it was a BBC thing. And I think the reason that Macbeth is so accessible to people is that it doesn't have to be killing the king. It's it's basically about mugging off your boss, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And try an ambition and power, and trying to supplant your boss. And you can adapt that storyline to anything, really, any setting. Well, and I think that's why the play why it gets remade all the time. I yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of reasons. I actually think. Uh, so there's so much analysis on the, the what it means. And I think you're right. The reason that you can adapt it so easily is because you can transfer that moment of treason of like a uh, general killing the king into, to your point, just like 
screwing over one of your elders or a person in authority. So it, it translates well, and it kind of almost makes Macbeth this anti-hero at times because you 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 get into his motivations so much and you see how much it like affects him the moment he does it and blah, 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 blah. I actually think it's all just to do with him being cursed by the witches. I think it's just magic. Like, I don't think it's got anything to do with an analysis on, like, ambition or paranoia or anything. I think that moment, right at the beginning, he was cursed by witches, and then everything else just falls apart. And the, the like, so genuinely... Sorry, you weren't in Chris's uh, English class. No, I know. But, like, <laughs> I think because James was so obsessed with witches and hated them so much, I think Shakespeare was like, all right, I'm going to take this story, but I'm going to make it because of witches. And I think, but people... that doesn't explain why Lady Macbeth is such a pain in the arse. Because the entire family, like it was, it, like it was you and your entire family have been cursed, including Banquo, which is kind of part of the reason why he was killed himself. And it's, I think, it's literally magic. Like if we we got to go back to a time when this was written, where they believed in magic that women could curse you and your entire family for multiple generations. I think it's got nothing to do with like ambition or anything else like that. But yeah, I mean, I guess in context, you make a good argument. But I people like to argue, you know. And and Shakespeare did write for whoever was the king or queen at that mm-hmm. time, basically just to curry favor. So yeah, I suppose um, doing a play about a, a, a ruthlessly ambitious king who ends up meeting his demise probably wouldn't go down so well <laughs> with um, the monarch unless Shakespeare's like, no, 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 it's it's. It's not. It's a witch. Witches yeah. be cray. Yeah, witches be cray. And I think that's why I'm pretty sure that they turn up at the end as well. And he has a brief kind of reminder of like, remember them? It's their fucking fault. This all happened. Cautionary um, tale. Yeah, let's burn them. Burn them all. But yeah, there, so there was one other uh, um, adaptation I wanted to talk about just before we move on to the curse itself, which was. Uh, or two, I guess. So there was, in 2015, um, there was a Michael Fassbender one. So that was why I was mentioning him earlier. I don't know if you guys saw this one. It was pretty big, pretty popular. It was directed by Justin Kurzel, who's this Australian director. And it's very atmospheric, very moody, very ooh, bloody. But, like, everybody kind of plays it very flat and it works incredibly well especially for that director so it's got like Fassbender, Marianne Coutard and Paddy Constantine and then a few other kind of people that you recognize um but one of the inter- I, I, again I would highly recommend this one this is, is it like the set of the, like it's period yeah piece. period set yeah. good budget beautiful shots great shots of I don't know if it's actually uh, shot in Scotland but you know, mirrors and hillsides and, you know, good use of golden hour and all that type of stuff. But um, also with that, it makes, with Fassbender being um, Macbeth, Patrick Stewart being Macbeth, and then I think we mentioned that James McAvoy had played him a couple of times as well, and also Ian McKellen is famous for playing him on stage. So the four actors who played Magneto <laughs> and uh, Professor X have all played Macbeth. Whole gangs here. I'm pretty sure I've seen the Magneto version, the uh, McKellen version <laughs> of it as well. Yeah, I think he was I, with Judy Dench actually. Again, mm. another BBC version. Um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Who was the best story? Have you? I'm assuming you've uh, the seventh, all of the them. seventh one. <laughs> the best one. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks. You know, Chris, it's difficult. That was the Evan Peters version. <laughs> <laughs> it was um, Tom Holland, actually. <laughs> he was the best version. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know who's best. I really enjoyed Fastbender, but Patrick Stewart's meant to be incredible as it. And I, McAvoy's only ever done him on stage, and I don't know if it's been filmed because I couldn't find a copy of it. I wanted to at least see a wee bit of it, but I'm sure he's very good. You know, he's Fast a good actor. Fastbender's a particularly intense and i could see him being really really good at it mm. uh, yeah i just think he's got that presence i don't i think he's got more presence than mcavoy does i'm not taking anything away from mcavoy i just think fastbender's the more yes uh hulking brooding I agree. brooding one of the two yeah agree. mcavoy maybe make a good mcduff you know yeah or bankroll it's not for everyone all right <laughs> 
Paddy Constantine was Manco. He did good with it. I freaking love Paddy, Con- Paddy Constantine as well. But uh, yeah, it's cool. It's just it it takes it changes things up a little bit. It takes a couple of liberties with the original text, but generally sticks to it. Yeah, highly recommend that one. Talking of adaptations, have you have you boys ever been to Sleep No More in New York? Oh, is no, I haven't. So apparently, Sleep No More is an interpretation, a very uh, sort of vague interpretation of Macbeth, apparently. And so, if people haven't been there, it's basically <laughs> like a. So I mean, it doesn't. I don't, I'm not sure it's open at the moment, given it's no. uh, how it's set up. But it's kind of like experiential theater where you go in for an evening and you sort of are let loose in this old what's set up is is called the McKittrick Hotel and you can kind of wander around and you start in a bar and then they sort of lead you in and the night begins and you're kind of seeing snippets of stories wherever you go so you can kind of like walk around the place and you might stumble upon a scene and then you can kind of follow the actors around and stuff but apparently it's all based on Macbeth so you can kind of like see the scene where she's Lady Macbeth's like scrubbing her hands and then there's like this mad moment, spoiler alert, but like you can <laughs> go and find like the witches and there's this like bonkers rave going on. It's it's actually amazing. We went as like a work night out once and it was like very weird and you have to wear a mask through the whole thing. And um, But it's pretty cool and it's kind of like loosely based on on the story, which is kind of interesting. Uh, so and you people- don't... You don't like follow follow a path, do you? You just go. No, you're kind of like free to roam around. So you, ca- I think you can follow it like chronologically, but you te- you sort of just have a wonder, and you might go up the stairs and see a scene here, and then an actor runs off somewhere, and you might follow them, or you just go for like a wonder yeah. on your own and find something else. So it's like it's quite a unique thing. Oh, well, maybe not unique. Like I think there's a lot of that stuff around, but it's like pretty memorable night out. If I mean, I don't know if it's actually open right now given COVID, but. It was pretty cool when it was there. Yeah, it sounded very cool. Like, I, I remember you telling me about it just when you had that work night out. I, yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, kind of getting involved. You could just go and uh, create your own version of that, but using Scotland PA as a <laughs> template, go to your local McDonald's and <laughs> find whoever the sort of number two is on the shift and just get in the rear and be like, you know, I saw that the manager was was really over serving in those McFlurries there. That's that's really gonna cut your overs, doesn't it? You should probably kill him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's when it's like there's gonna get a point a couple of hours later when you're holding a severed hand in in your own hand, and it's like, oh god, it's, it's got out of control again. Same to can, I have, can I have a quarter pounder and fries? And you should probably kill the manager. Excuse me, what? <laughs> Nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Um, so the next, the next adaptation to come out is actually sounds interesting. So, so apparently already filmed, meant to be coming out this year, and it's directed by Joel Cohn, not with his brother Ethan for whatever reason. So it's one of the Cohn brothers, but um, just Joel's doing. I don't know what's happened there. But it stars. Half of it's um, going to be really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's starring Denzel Washington as Macbeth and Frances McDormand as Lady Macbeth, and is shot in black and white. So I don't know. Sounds interesting. Enough for Frances McDormand, to be honest. Just yeah, she's a great actress. She's wins all the Oscars. Just you know, <laughs> just all right. No, no real criticism. Yeah. Just saturation. Just like yeah. Just I get I it. You're Denzel great at acting. Great. Okay. I think it would, I think Denzel would be great. I just I also don't see them as a couple. Well, you know, I think isn't she married to Joel Cohn? So is she? I think oh, I is that, that why she's in all the movies? I think so. <laughs> I do think so. Not sure, but I wonder anyway. if Denzel's married to Ethan Cohn, and that's that might that's be part of the problem. Yeah. There as well, nepotism. Yeah, typical bloody Hollywood. <laughs> all insiders. Anyway, the curse. So, there is a modern-day superstition that if you say the name of the play outside the dialogue of the play itself, you will get bad luck and curse the performance itself, hence why it's commonly known as a Scottish play. You guys heard of this, right? The That's yeah. why we started referring to it as a Scottish play at the beginning and all that type of stuff. Yeah, very, very famous. And it's apparently been around right from the very beginning. And a lot of that to do with the fact that he had witches in it. And not only did he have witches in it, but he, apparently he was using real witches, like ingredients and incantations and words in the dialogue of his play. So that point of like double trouble, 
boil and bubble or whatever. I can't remember the quote, but apparently... That's just, an, that's just another nod to James in the audience, yes, isn't it? Yes, like, of course. You've done your research, James. I've done mine, mate. That's yeah. exactly that's right. what it is. Ever told you that you're my favorite king? <laughs> I, love, I love what you've done with Jesus. <laughs> I love that thing that you put in about him coming back. <laughs> Didn't see it coming. I mean, look, they were both writers, obviously, so they were kindred spirits in many ways. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe Shakespeare helped edit the Bible uh, for James. Who knows? We'll let's, blow it open when do we do show. that episode. Let's do it. So the 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 th- theory is that real witches heard that Shakespeare was blaspheming their words and their their incantations and they cursed the play itself for all time. And this has manifested itself in many, many ways over the years. Um, So the very first performance, the actor who was playing Macbeth actually died and Shakespeare had to take over as that that performance. Did Shakespeare kill him? Who knows? (laughs) I'll do it. Fed up up writing these things. Let me in them. (laughs) I can do it better. What about the understudy? No one knows the show like that. (laughs) (laughs) Another actor who was playing Duncan was stabbed on stage when a trick knife was accidentally replaced with a real one, which is just a real kick in the nuts. Like, oh, so you know that moment? Like, imagine being stabbed on stage. Like, all these people watching you and going, "Wow, it's so real." (laughs) Can someone please just help me? It's amazing. It just looks. He's gone method. Look at that. The first row that gets like splattered with blood. Oh my god! It even tastes. It tastes like blood. It tastes like iron. The detail in this play is unbelievable. Like he's turning a funny color. <laughs> the, the special effects are just incredible these days. Okay, back to Voodoo Macbeth, as it was commonly known, Oscar Wilde's Macbeth stage performance. No, it was no, like uh, Orson Welles, right? What did I say? Oscar Wilde. Bus. I mean, basically the same thing, right? <laughs> just, just wanted to double check. No, it's Orson Welles, the weird looking one. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so that play was wildly applauded, like I said, but there was one critic, Percy Hammond, who did not like it and was writing these, these reviews of it that were very disparaging. So there was a cast member who made a voodoo doll of Hammond and stuck pins in it. And everybody kind of dismissed it as being bullshit until Hammond died less than 40 hours later. Was it voodoo magic or was it the curse? Who knows? Wait, he hated the play and then he died. Yeah, he hated the play. Right. And then... That sounds like a combination of the two. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 48 hours, that's quick turnaround, so it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, 1937, a theatre manager of the Old Vic, which is you know famously the Shakespearean theatre in London, dies on the night of the dress rehearsal. In that same performance, the director and the actor playing Lady Macbeth were in a car crash together. Ooh. 1942, three actors die during the run at a Piccadilly theatre, and the com- the costume designer committed suicide. So like. There's just what? That's an intense. insane, yeah, there's an insane number of like, I, you don't ever really truly know what is going on with these performances but and what the stories are around them. But yeah, there's a lot of, like that was four, four deaths in one, one run wow. of the play happening in 1942. Now, we're going to get into my favorite story. And this just became, this is, this is going to be a bit of a tangent, but it's too i liked it too much to not talk about it and it is related to the curse and to macbeth but you're gonna have to bear with me while i give you the background to this so all right on you go take a sip yeah so this is the astor place riot so back in the early 19th century theater was the main form of entertainment actors basically amassed like these huge fanatical followers they were like the k-pop stars of today And the vast majority of actors in America were British. So in New York in the 1840s, we had William McCready, who was considered the greatest British actor of his generation. And then Edwin Forrest, who was a homegrown American lad, seen as like the first all-American star to come out in the theatres. And they both specialised in in Shakespeare, which was, you know, the, the main kind of run of plays that were happening at the time. They were also massive rivals because they were roughly the same age, like I said, both doing Shakespeare. um, But people would kind of sit and debate who was the best actor. It was kind of like pub chat. It was like, who's better, Messi or Ronaldo? Like, 
Glasgow or Edinburgh, Johnny or Chris. You know, it was that kind of debate that was going on Johnny. at the time. Johnny. Johnny. And with McCready being British, his support tended to come from like the upper class Americans and obviously the British themselves as well. The upper class Americans, the, you know, uh, uptown New Yorkers tended to side more with the, the British in general. And he performed at the Astor Place Opera House, which was a, had fancier clientele. It was kind of like white vest dress code type of place. Um, Forrest was more of a working class hero. Um, he had the working class Americans who, who supported him. And his debut was in the Bowery Theatre, which is the place that was like right in the middle of like the Five Points neighborhood in Manhattan. That place that was kind of famous in... Uh, gangs in New York, right. exactly, very near where we are. So it was like the more, like I said, gangs in New Yorky type place, downtown Manhattan, New York. Gritty, gritty, gritty. Now, as I mentioned, they were rivals. Forrest seemed like a bit of a dick, but to be honest, he was kind of just supporting. He was like kind of, uh, you know, protecting his own home ground. So he would mess with McCready a lot. They would tour around America and McCready would then tour around and Forrest would tour just behind him playing the same shows <laughs> that McCready had just done just to show that he was better. <laughs> yeah. Forrest would then turn up to McCready's performances and just kick up a fuss. He would like get ahead of the tour, turn up to the plays and like boo and hiss and just be a bit of a dick in general. There's one bonker story that says that McCready was on stage, you know, performing, doing his thing, and then all of a sudden from the audience, half a sheep's carcass had been thrown <laughs> at him onto stage. Wow. Like we've, yeah. all been there. we've all been there. Right. So this is kind of how it continued for a year. How do you, you sneak a half a sheep's carcass into the theater? Which half? Like... Which also, is, yeah, I, is it sliced vertically or horizontally? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's horrifying either way. And that's a yeah, I think like normally throw. it's like, oh, I wish that person would shut up eating all that popcorn. It's like, <laughs> what's that smell? This guy next to me has got <laughs> half a sheep's carcass. That guy's <laughs> sawing a sheep The guy behind me has been bleating on all night. Hey. So this is how he kind of continued for a long time. Like this absolute nonsense. What's the, sorry, what's the American guy called again? Forrest. Classic. Ooh, Edwin classic Forrest. behavior. I know, I love it. Wait, was for, was the Forrest the guy that was down in the Bowery, or was he the one? Yeah, yeah. Forrest is okay. Forrest is American Bowery local right. boy. Uh, McCready's just trying to make a living. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Let me guess: is McCready is McCready the one that snaps and ends up murdering him just after <laughs> getting pelted the sheep's carcass? <laughs> <laughs> no, he did relatively well. He he, you know, he's got the British sip off sip. So he kept going through the scene, lip. just didn't even drop a line. Just kept the sheep line. <laughs> yes, him and doesn't even genuinely show must goes on, and that happens multiple times in the yeah. story. It's brilliant. I fucking hate that guy, <laughs> <laughs> but I must continue to perform. <laughs> He's a bloody good actor, but I fucking hate him. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is how it continued, and things really started to heat up in 1849. So McCready is performing in New York as Macbeth in Astor Place Theatre, this this opera house, uh, also known as a theatre when it's not doing opera. A few blocks away, Forrest is also performing as Macbeth at the Bowery. And this rivalry, like I said, is something that people talk about in, in pubs. It was like football teams. It's like your sports teams or whatever else. So one night, a bunch of Forest supporters brought, bought a bunch of tickets to a McCready performance. And they brought the show to a complete halt by hurling fruit, eggs, and <laughs> bottles of foul-smelling liquid, which is definitely yes. piss. Definitely Indeed, piss. Yeah at him and the stage and McCready continues to perform the entire way through he's like nope yes. I'm going to do this I'm going to finish the play he's a professional he is he finishes the show but he's like I want to flee back I, like that, that's it I'm done I'm going back to Britain I'm never coming back here again and basically he was persuaded to stay by the upper class his upper class supporters like the uptown people were like no 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 no, no. you're doing great don't worry about it here's some extra money stay and do your do your art blah 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 I reckon they're in it together. I reckon they're like yeah, best of mates. It's a big, that, it's a Johnny. huge scam. Maybe He's just he like, look, mate, I've made it to America. We both are actors. We love what we do. Like, let's help keep me here. And they they just put on a show. They put on a show across the country. It's I brilliant. Mean, they're performers. You're you're not wrong. 
in my head right now, I'm trying to cast who plays the opposite <laughs> to Hugh Jackman in this film. <laughs> Christopher Walken. You know? uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Ryan Re- yeah, Reynolds yeah. would be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, has, has no one ever written a screenplay about this? This is incredible. I know, but just wait. So, the these guys are... Both performing Macbeth, he wants to. Uh, Macready wants to go back to Britain. They convince him to stay. Everything comes ahead on May tenth, when so this is still nineteen eighteen forty nine. Sorry, May tenth. Literally thousands of Forest supporters descend on Astor Place Theatre. The police are called. Then the state militia are called. Then mounted troops. Then light artillery. It was estimated that there was about ten thousand people laying siege to the theater it was bananas they were like fighting the police they were pelting the building with stones there were some that had snuck in to the theater and were trying to set fire to it from the inside (laughs) all the while (laughs) mccready continues to plow through Macbeth. (laughs) most of his audience are trapped inside because there's a riot happening outside and the other section of his of the, the audience are actively trying to kill him (laughs) <laughs> additional additional troops were called around 9 p.m. and that's when things turned real bad. Basically, authorities thought they'd lost control of the city entirely. They were like freaked out, like we're, we're done. There's like thou- like tens of thousands of people in the street just going bananas. And at some point, soldiers start shooting. This is like point blank with people. So in the end, 31 people were killed in the street and scores more were injured. And it was like this massacre all over. Who was the better Macbeth actor? Was it Macready or Forrest? This is nuts. It is That's amazing. Insane. Yeah. And the whole thing was just over these just two actors. For- and just because Forrest was an arsehole, basically. Well, I mean it depends on which side you're on, but yeah. Like Well you've you everything you've just said there, like McCready's done the <laughs> only thing he's done wrong is maybe not read the room and not got off stage early. I I have to agree. <laughs> like this is one of those ones where it's like who's writing the stories here who's reporting on it because it's very anti-forest and pro mccready but i i also like the fact that you're calling them forest fans which just makes it's like a, it is like a football team <laughs> I, it's, it's, that's amazing right that's a brilliant that's, story that, i'm gonna go out and say that's the most interesting thing that you've said on this podcast it, it <laughs> very well could be very well could yeah. be i got so enamored by the story one of my favorite parts is the theater afterwards so astor place theater became known as disaster place theater sick burn (laughs) what 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 yeah it was amazing was there was there any um was there any fan fiction written at the time that (laughs) forrest and mccree were actually together you know, I'd had my fill of fan fiction by that <laughs> point. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't really, I couldn't make do that Google anymore. That, that no. disturbed me. Okay. So yeah, again, the curse well, strikes again and kills 31 people in the streets of New I York. Can't, I can't believe that's not been made into a film. Right? Like, it's a, it's a brilliant rival. It's, it's Where did like, you read this story, Rory? <laughs> oh, a bunch of places. Okay. Yeah. I, I found it and got so excited that i had to make sure and it's it's That's, very well done that is amazing is this the only is this the only reason that you wanted to do an episode on Macbeth? no i didn't know it until i was reading about the curse i honestly had no idedea oh so good anyway that's brilliant that's brilliant yeah so what happens if you say Macbeth and you want to prevent your cast members dying or a riot breaking out in the streets what you have to do is go outside spin round three times or run around the building three times spit swear and then knock on the door and be allowed back in and that's how you break the curse so that's all mccready really had to do yeah that's true that's yeah if you say macbeth in the wrong time the wrong place Say say macbeth three times and you get Beetlejuice. Fastbender turns up and slaps you across the face. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then James McAvoy tries and sets fire to you. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like, look, the the, the curse, I, I think the main reason that it's cursed is because, or, or why people think there's a curse is because it's what we've said throughout this entire episode is it's very short. 
it's Shakespeare, so it's easy or free to do. It's incredibly popular and it's genuinely a good play. So a lot of the times struggling theatres or theatres like at the end of their runs will do Macbeth. They'll be like, okay, this is our last hurrah or this is the thing that's going to pull in the crowds. And so it's a lot of like, well, they did Macbeth and then the theatre shut down or they did, did Macbeth and they didn't have enough money to like buy the right rigging and so there was an accident or also it's just been done so many times that you've got by the sheer number of it more people having accidents on stage or on set mm. or whatever else yeah so i think that's purely it but look i mean that's that's basically it the only last little tidbit i have for i'm gonna get your last thoughts is one little fact I came across, which I quite liked, was um, the phrase "steal my thunder." Actually, in a indirectly comes from Macbeth. So there was John Dennis in seventeen oh four. He was a playwright and a critic, and he wrote this play, and it wasn't particularly good, and nobody quite liked it, and uh, it flopped. It left the theatre. The next one, next eps, the next play to come in was Macbeth. But in John Dennis's play, I can't remember what the play was about, but he actually came up with the technique of wobbling sheet metal to make the sound of thunder. (laughs) And so in the opening scene of Macbeth, where the witches greet each other by saying, we three have met again in thunder, lightning, and rain, they use the same technique to create the thunder noise. And so when when John Dennis was asked, what did you think of the play? He said, damn them, they will not let my play run, but they steal my thunder. (laughs) And that is... Attributed to the phrase, where the phrase Steal My Thunder came from. But yeah, I mean, like, so I guess for you guys, closing question and and last thoughts would be, do you believe in the curse? Uh, I don't know if I, do you know, I heard a thing recently that there, I think there's a name for that phenomenon where, you know, sometimes someone points out a thing to you and then you see it everywhere for the weeks after that. It's like once you see something, once you see it like yeah. twenty times. Yeah. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a it's a confirmation it's a bias thing. Yeah, yeah. I th- I sort of think there's a bit of that in it where it's very easy because the play is about those types of things, like it's about the occult and witches and curses. That yeah, if if one thing goes wrong in a play somewhere that they're showing that, it's very easy to sort of put those things together, and then the, another thing happens and. It's like the Exorcist movie. Yeah, and I mean the other side of it is like it's also hard to hear like four people dying in the run of a, <laughs> yeah. of a show and not be like, uh, "Don't mess with this." <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I I mean I think you should be wary of it and not you know take your take your chances too much. I was laughing halfway through. I got a little warning going. Your internet's going funny. I was like, "Oh, here it comes." <laughs> <laughs> But I've made it this far, so yeah. I don't know. What were you? Guys? I think that it it probably puts people on edge when they're doing it yeah. as well. Just from the it's the confirmation bias, as you said, that they're waiting for something to go wrong, and that naturally makes you jump here uh, mm-hmm. for stuff. Although, I mean, the the new the Aster Place thing, I think that's just like a really bizarre coincidence that it happens to be Macbeth. Uh, because clearly those two just had this rivalry that got out of hand just, and it happened yeah. to be Macbeth that was the the play at the time. Um, also, I was thinking maybe there's a lot of battle scenes in it, so maybe the the chances that things go yes. wrong of getting stabbed with uh, yeah. with dodgy knives and things like that might happen more often than not. And as you said, Rory, the 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 fact that the play is, has been done to death, basically. Yeah. like It's sort of the old adage of you know, you you or you would write about the plane that crashes, but you never write about the hundred planes that land. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And with it's probably if you looked at the percentages of stuff that's gone wrong during Macbeth, it's minuscule, but it goes down in folklore. Still great though. I mean, it's great reading about the yeah. hearing about all that stuff and all yeah. different things and. I mean, I'm still blown away by that story. It's <laughs> I know, an amazing story. It's absolutely incredible. I, I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I mean, if we've taken anything, Astor Place Riot needs to be turned into a movie. Maybe that's what we'll do. We'll write the script, guys. That's how we'll make our millions. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah, I love it. All right. Well, on that 
amazing note. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This will do, lads. This will do nicely. Thanks for listening, everybody. Just a couple more things. Please don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and all other podcasting apps. You can email us at thisldonicelypod at gmail.com. Visit the website thisldonicelypod.com. Visit us on Twitter at thisldopod. All original music in this podcast is written and performed by our very own Johnny Naismith. Please like and subscribe to his YouTube channel and follow him on Instagram at J-A-W underscore K-N-E-E underscore loves hugs and kisses from the Thistle Do Nicely pod.